And so it's my privilege this morning to introduce Eduardo. Eduardo is from Colombia, and he is going to be sharing this morning at Bringing God's Word in Philippians chapter 4. So if you would go ahead and turn in your Bible there, we will have him bring God's Word. Come on, Eduardo. You want to have some fun? Yes. Okay, good. So you normally translate during our conference. That's so, and last night I told you that sign language was my second language. So I will translate through interpretive dance your sermon. This <laughs> is, is that a problem? Can you be behind me so I, I was, don't see well, you? Well, they, they left this wide berth for me right here. <laughs> I figured that might be... No. Uh, how about this? Uh, tell us a bit about your church. Oh, well, our church is located in a city called Rio Hacha. It's in the northern coast of Colombia. We've been there for... Uh, I mean, the church is eight years, eight years, <laughs> yeah, eight years old, um, and, and yeah, we're, uh, the name of the church is Vida uh, en Su Palabra, that stands for Life in His Word, Wonderful. yeah, and I had the opportunity to, to get to know you guys through Aaron, who kindly visited our church and, and shared with us, have uh, very great memories from that, and we were able to attend last year's conference and very encouraged, so we are thankful, yes. For today, you and to be able to be here. Today, instead of translating, yeah. would you just bring God's word to us as a church? Yes. Can I pray for you? Please. In preparation for that? Lord, thank you for our brother. Lord, thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ in Colombia right now that we have not had opportunity to meet. We pray for them as they gather this morning as well. We pray for Eduardo and his family as he's away from them and a, a three-year-old and a four-month-old at home with his wife. We pray that you would be there with them, providing and protecting. But today, may he have a sense that he's at home, not because of the familiar surroundings, but because of people gathered together for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Well, again, good morning, church. It is uh, a real privilege for me to be sharing with you. I always ask for a little bit of patience. English not being my first language is always challenging. Like, ah, you're doing fine. I know some of you may think it, but you'll see. <laughs> you'll see. Uh, as, uh, as Chris was telling you, um, my name is Eduardo Ferguson. I'm married uh, to Edna for seven years. And we have a three-year-old uh, daughter, that's Emma, and a four-month-old baby named Ethan. So uh, I'm missing them dearly, and I'm so excited to share the word with you. I also want to thank for your hospitality. I always remind how, uh, I reminded of how hospitality is to take the things that you really care, like your time, your space, your resources, and share it with others. That's it's an amazing thing that, that, that you do, so I'm, I'm thankful for it. So let's, let's read our passage for today. It's going to be in Philippians 4, verse 10 through 13. Uh, so let's read that, and, and then we go back to the Lord in prayer. So it says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's pray. Father, thank you 
again for the opportunity to be here and for the privilege to be exposed to your word. It's an absolute privilege for us, O oh Lord, to be here and to be able to hear from the creator of the universe, to, to be able, O oh Lord, to hear your words and be able to be encouraged and be able to be uh, corrected and, and loved by you through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to talk to you, church, about uh, contentment, about true contentment. It's not a virtue that people long to have. Actually, many, many years ago, a Puritan wrote a book about this subject, and he titled this book, The, R- the Rare Yule of Christian Contentment, because it is a rare jewel. We will see this jewel in the life and testimony of the Apostle Paul. So what was the situation of the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the Philippians? Well, he was a prisoner in a jail in Rome. And one of the reasons that he's writing to the Philippians is to tell them how grateful he is for an offering that he received from them while he was in jail. He was there in jail and he received this help. You know, prisons uh, in, 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 in that time, more than now, they were really, really hard. Uh, at that time, the rich will do well in prison, but for those with no possibilities, practically they even needed the food to be brought to them. So in the case of the Apostle Paul, he was, if he was not cared for while in jail, he could die. And these Philippian brothers had sent him an important gift, and how nice it was for the Apostle Paul to receive this gift. That's the reason we read in verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. So he was, he was happy. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So it seems that it was usual for the Philippians to help Paul. And it says in verse 15, And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So it was their custom to help him. But for a period of time, he has not received any help for them. Until a brother named Epaphroditus arrived with help. Paul then had been in a time of hardship and had not received this help. But it's very interesting for, for, to see that he didn't come to a negative conclusion, you know. He wasn't like, oh, this Philippian guy, just forget about me. They don't care about me. No, he said, they don't have the opportunity. So that's a good application for us about always think good about our brothers. So when the opportunity came, they give to Paul, and he was grateful. He wanted to show gratitude for this gift. The support, the interest of the Philippians for the work of the gospel. More than the offering itself, his greatest cause of joy was to see these fruits in these brothers. Verse 17 says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So he rejoices that he can see in them fruits that they are growing in the grace of the Lord. So, Paul is in jail. He's received these gifts. He is he's so grateful. He's joyful. But he wants to make it clear for the Philippians and for us that his joy did not depend on whether they sent him offerings or not. He said, thank you, but his joy did not depend on it. 
that he had learned to be content wherever his situation. So we will look at some principles that we can take from this passage and apply in our lives. And the first one is that true contentment is not related to our circumstances. True contentment is not related to our circumstances. Paul affirms that he had learned to be content in any situation. Think about it. It is amazing. Paul Paul had learned to be content in any situations. that, That he had learned how to live in various situations without them affecting his joy. And in verse 12, he gives us an example of the situation he had gone through in his life and how these situations did not affect his joy. Look at verse 12 again with me, please. He said, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So the first thing that Paul affirms is that he knows how to be brought low. Like in poverty, like really, really low when you see the, the, the original, uh, the work in the original. And when he speaks about poverty, when, when he speaks about this, he gives de- details in other passages of things that happen in his life. For example, in, in 1 Corinthians 4 11, he said, To the present hour, we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. So, brothers, I don't know how many of you have passed through difficult situations. I, I, I was remembering how in, in my own childhood uh, there was a time that we were not able to pay for the electricity bill. So, we, uh, it was like 21 days without electricity. That was some hard days, especially when, if you see the houses in, in Colombia, they, in, in my city especially, the that's this place when we store the water because water does not come every, every single day. No, it comes like three days a week and you have to store all the water you need for the rest of the week. So I remember having to go to the school, 6 a.m. Yeah, I know it's not like that here for some reason. But anyway, you had to go downstairs, take a couple of buckets of water, go upstairs. Anyway, at 5.30 in the morning... That was not fun times <laughs> at all. But I never went like hungry or thirsty as the Apostle Paul describes in that passage. My thirst probably never went beyond a few hours. So, but we can think that he, he's talking about like being dehydrated, being really hungry. Uh, for example, in 2 Corinthians 6, 4 and 5, he said, But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. One of those situations of the Apostle Paul that I, that I find very impressive, uh, remember he was a prisoner, they, that, that's like an ex, Acts, sorry, Acts 27. Uh, he was a prisoner, they were transporting him to Rome. He, he was, uh, and they encountered a terrible storm that they had to suffer for days. They were miraculously safe, and when they arrive at this island, we say, okay, well, we finally escaped the storm, then a snake bites Paul. At that time, I mean, Paul would be like, come on, what's, what's going on? Even the people in the island were amazed. They say, like, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to leave. 
And well, you remember the story, God miraculously saved his life. But the point is that Paul is not exaggerating when he says he knows how to be abroad low. And that he learned contentment of the soul in the midst of extreme scarcity. He learned a contentment so deep, so deep, that it not depend on circumstances. And brothers and sisters, this also shows that the measure of God's love and the measure of his blessing should not be based on having a life without afflictions. Because if that were the case, God hated Paul. <laughs> but you see, it was not the case. He was very dearly loved and he knew it. His joy was beyond the reach of his circumstances. But Paul not only says... And this is amazing because he said, okay, I, I know how to be bro law. But he also says something interesting, that he knows how to abound. Because when we think about contentment, we always think it is about, you know, having bad situations, having afflictions and suffering. Then you need contentment. But Paul said, no, I have learned this not only when things are going bad, but also when things are going pretty good. But why did he say that? Well, Paul affirms that contentment is learned and applied also in times of abundance because as there is the test of scarcity, there is also the test of prosperity. Contentment in the midst of prosperity may not seem very necessary, but God tells us that it's necessary for us to practice contentment in abundance as well as in scarcity, mainly because the human heart is never satisfied. Even when it is in abundance, even when a person lives in prosperity, the heart is prone to the sin of discontentment and covetousness to start complaining, even in that situation. Because there is a huge difference between being rich and having contentment. And wealth does not have the capacity to produce true contentment. Although we always think that it does, but it does not. So let's turn real quick to 1 Timothy 6, where we are told of particular temptations and trials for those who are in prosperity or abundance. In 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 10, it said, But godliness, says Paul, with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. I know I pronounced that well, but it says many pangs in my notes. So, brothers, you see that the... You can see in that text, like very clearly, all the dangers of the, of the prosperity gospel that is pretty, you know, it's big in my country, like almost in, in, in the majority of churches, that's the teaching that you get, you know, that if you follow Christ, you're going you're gonna to be rich. And it's a very compelling message because you are appealing to something that sinful hearts always want. It's to cover things, to, to have more. And, and I mean, if, if you are in, in a country like mine, maybe facing difficult situations, and somebody tell you, okay, so you follow Jesus, you're going to have all this wealth. You say, okay, I want, give me two Jesus then. <laughs> right? 
But we know that's not... Actually, Paul is saying, if you desire this, see, that, that's what he's saying here. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. And you already know what I'm talking about. I'm not saying that to have wealth is necessarily bad. And he's talking about the love of money, you know, about money it, it itself, because you, you know that's the way Lord, the Lord provides. That's the way you guys were able to have this beautiful building to, for the kingdom of God. I mean, you understand that, I know. But at the same time, what he's aiming here is that, okay, it is possible to have many, many things and to not be content. That, that's the issue there. When a person learns to live in contentment, in abundance, he will be able to avoid all the evils just mentioned in this text, such as temptation, snares, many foolish and harmful laws that plunge men into destruction. And he said that even some uh, wandered away from the faith in the pursuit of, the, of this wealth and, and, and richness. It was the Lord Jesus Christ who said in Luke 12, 15, and he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So contentment is applied in, adver in adversity, but also in abundance. Contentment is independent of circumstances. It is not related to the situations around us. It, it has its roots elsewhere. It is not, it's not grounded in what is happening around us, but in something else. And we will see what that is. But it's the second principle that I want to show with you, uh, share with you. Is that Paul is saying that true contentment can be learned. True contentment can be learned. He says in verse 11, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So this means that there was a time when the Apostle Paul did not know how to be content in any situation. Actually, he said in verse 12, I have learned the secret. So this is something that we can learn and that we need to learn. It is not a product of a temperament that one is born with it. Biblical contentment is not a personality trait. Like, can you see that brother or that? This is always smiling. There's, it's, I'm not like that. I'm a, when I wake up in the morning, I just hate everybody. <laughs> it, it's not like that. It, it is something that is learned. It is not something that is acquired instantaneously. It does not happen automatically. It does not happen with a miraculous pill. It, it, it's not like after listening to this message, you say, oh, I just learned contentment in the church. No. No, you're not. <laughs> you could say that it's the beginning in which we are going to learn contentment. Because the key thing is it's something that we can learn, that the God can and does provide to us. It is a virtue that is learned by applying it, by having a clear understanding of what the Word of God teaches. So this requires effort. It is not achieved without work. And obviously depended entirely on the grace of God. But it's something that the Lord gives to us. Because imagine living like that. Living in a way that the things that happen around you does not affect your joy? That's a miracle. But it's a miracle that is available for all of us. So my third principle, and this is where I'm going to spend most of the rest of my time, is that true contentment is grounded in the grace of God. 
So Paul says, I have learned this contentment. I have learned the secret. And then he tells us what the secret is. Verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That is the secret of the Apostle Paul. I can do all things through him, talking about Christ, who strengthens me. The secret is in a verse that is not a secret. Because everybody knows that verse. Did you know that verse? Let's see. Come, help me out, okay? Let's say it together. One, two, three. I can. Very good. Very good. So everybody knows that verse. I don't know if it's it's like... It's like that here, but, but in my country, I mean, you can see that verse everywhere. Like in the stores, like in cars, like everywhere. Almost everyone probably knows it. It is one of the most quoted verses everywhere. Many people say, I can do all things through Christ who has turned me because, as well as is well known, it is one of the most mishandled <laughs> verses of the Bible. Right? Because this says, this Bible verse must be limited and defined by its context. We must take into account what Paul is saying so that we can correctly understand what, what is he talking about. So, sometimes we love whatever the Bible seems to say for our convenience without stopping to see what is really going on. But hey, Paul is not talking about his skills or your skills. In other words, Paul is not saying, there is absolutely nothing I can do. He's not saying, for example, okay, you came to church one day, and the worship team, something happened, nobody can play any instrument that day, and you, who never pick up a guitar in your life, just said, Pastor, I'm going to do the worship today, and I'm going to play the guitar. Brother, what are you talking about? You can't even sing. <laughs> Pastor, I can do all things. You see, that's a problem because you're not, after reciting that, you're not going to learn to play the guitar magically, right? It's not implying that. It's not saying that if you, you know, repeat these words with a lot of enthusiasm and that you can achieve whatever you want. This verse is not saying that for the Christians there are no limitations. We have to be careful not to take these precious words and apply them inappropriately, as many people do. Many well-intentioned people misuse and misapply this text. They are not words to apply to everything our heart desires or to every obstacle that appears in the way. Because, brothers, there are obstacles that surpass our capacity, our abilities that we can overcome. And it's not because of a lack of faith. Let me give you an example. I, the other day I was staying with this uh, I have a, a, a pastor, a friend who's a pastor, and he loved CrossFit. And I got a great idea to, you know, I'm going to train with you, man. Oh, that was a bad idea. <laughs> you know, they leave those things and do this move, and I was like, what am I doing? Why? And, you know, it doesn't matter if I say, okay, I'm going to do it because I can do all. Nope. <laughs> it didn't help. And my conclusion after that is that the person who embedded CrossFit, he hated humanity <laughs> in general. So... When the Apostle Paul says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, what is this all about? He's saying, in whatever situation I find myself, I can be content in Christ who gives me strength. And that is what that test teaches. 
that contentment comes only from him and through him and independence on him. But what is contentment, you may ask? Well, I want to share with you a definition from a brother named Robert Jones. He said, listen to this, it is having a satisfied mind in any situation. It is finding inner satisfaction in God alone and in his provision for you. It is experiencing his peace and confidence in difficult times. It is consciously enjoying the fact that God is good, even when your circumstances are not. It's enjoying the fact that God is good, even when your circumstances are not. So contentment depends on our relationship with Christ. It is the result of valuing and loving Christ in a great way. And it's something that Paul highlights in this letter to the Philippians. For example, in Philippians 1.21, he says, For me, life is Christ, and to die is gain. Or in Philippians 3.8, when he said, I count everything has lost because of the surpassing word of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So he had learned contentment because he had learned to trust and depend on Christ. He learned the secret because he valued his Savior. Dear brothers, we cannot let our happiness depend on that which can be lost, but rather let it depend on the only one who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and forever. Someone may think, come on, pastor, that's very easy for you to say when you're not the one suffering. That itself, that itself made what Paul says carry more weight. Why? Because when Paul wrote this, where was he? Oh, he was in jail. That's not like the place where you and I would say, oh, rejoice. No. Mm -mm. He was awaiting a trial that could end in his death. So in Paul's circumstances, so what, what, do you, what, what could we see when we see Paul in that circumstance? Well, you could see chains. You can see weakness, you can see humiliation, hunger, and also uncertainty about the future. But this was not what was filling Paul's mind. <laughs> what was filling Paul's mind was his Savior. When he looked to Christ, he found a strength to live through circumstances beyond what you and I have experienced. If you read the book of Philippians, it might seem that Paul is writing from comfort. Because when you see the joy, you will think he was, I mean, is he in a five-star hotel or something in the beach? No. It was in this letter, even in that same chapter, when he wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. You know, what's very interesting is he hardly even mentioned his difficult circumstances. And when he does it, it's not to complain. When he mentioned his circumstances, is to show how God has been good to him. And the first time he mentioned his prisons, is to tell, hey, everybody in the prison is converted. He's been converted to the gospel. So he was rejoicing in the fact that even in that circumstance, the Lord was working. So he primarily focused, focuses on his Savior, Christ, the one who left his glory, as it says in chapter 2. He focused on the Savior who, with his power, with he, give him a glorified body. The Savior who provides for his needs according to his riches in glory, as he said in chapter 4. 
Because, dear brothers and sisters, our contentment will always be related to those things that we are devoting our attention. The things that occupy your mind and your focus will define your contentment. I mean, if you look at your, only at your situation, if you only look at your circumstances, your contentment will certainly going to depend on it. But if your eyes are on the Savior, your contentment is going to depend on Him. So either we focus on our Savior, or we're going to find ourselves in a lot of complaining and dissatisfaction. Because in this fallen world, we have the certainty that things are not always going to be as we would like. I mean, you can see our daily lives kind of rub us in the face that we do not have control over many things that we would like to change. But He does have control. So discontent is very common. We kind of swim in a sea of discontentment. So Arsis Pro says this, Our misery is often enhanced by our ability to contemplate a better life that we presently enjoy, often coupled with the awareness that we are incapable of gaining or achieving that ideal life. This is the stuff of which dreams and nightmares are made, he says. So when we think, oh, what, what if I had this? Sometimes, and I have, and, and I don't know if you ever have, I was, I was looking in, in Google, one of the, the well-known lotteries here. This is the, the Florida lottery and Powerball and stuff like that. But have you ever, you know, closed your eyes and think, what about if I won that lottery? Oh, I will do this and I will do that. And, and then you will open your eyes and, and you are, you know, and you don't have any of that. And you back to reality. We always consider the idea of a better life that comes with a, accompanied by a dose of reality, and we end up in discontentment. And you know what? This is what makes us slaves of our circumstances. It robs us the joy and does not allow us to have grateful hearts towards God. And you know what? The worst thing about discontentment is that we come to assume that God owes a better life. And we think that if God will give me that or this, then I will be content. But in the meantime, oh no, Lord, don't ask me to be content. And you know what? That's sometimes our problem. That's the problem of a man-centered theology that ignores the God of Scripture, that God is not a servant to the winds of man. We exist for Him. To serve Him. But it's common to think that we'll be content if we were in a different situation. But that is not contentment. Even if you had everything you desire, you will not be content. Even if someone comes to you and gives you everything you desire in this life, you still will not be content. So this is, if there's something that I want you to think about and to keep thinking about after this service, is to ask yourself the following question. What things do you think you're lacking in order to be content? What things do you think you're lacking in order to be content? Because the answer will reveal an idol in your life. Because the only thing that can give you contentment is Christ. Anything else that you think it can give it to you is nothing but an idol. 
We will never experience contentment if we are simply giving what our heart desires. It is only achieved if we recognize the reality of the gospel. And what is this reality? Well, the gospel of Jesus Christ begins affirming what we all deserve. You know what you deserve? <laughs> the brothers, we don't deserve anything. That's just the way the Bible puts it. Except, obviously, the wrath of God because of our sin. So, picture this. Suddenly, we are in front of the throne of the Almighty and Holy God. And we go there, you know, boldly. And we say, okay, Lord, give me right now what I deserve. Oh, man, that would be like, <laughs> that's a terrible idea. Terrible idea. I get out of there <laughs> right now. Because what's probably what we're going to get? Condemnation, wrath, judgment. That's what we deserve. I remember one of the main issues, you know, my parents always take us to church. That's my childhood memory. So growing up in the church for some reason, and you know, and you hear these spectacular testimonies and all that. Oh, I was in this terrible life. So you grow up thinking that maybe you're a little better. You know, I'm not a, a sinner, you know. I'm just like, you know, I've been at home. I've never been drunk. I never tried this and that. And I remember myself believing that I was good. And that the fate of my parents, in some reason, was going to be applied to me. You know, and then you remember that thing about God does not have grandchilds, right? But when you see what, the way Scripture talks about every one of us, it doesn't matter if we have a great testimony or not, that we are all sinners. And we don't have to sing it spectacularly or, or anything. Think about this. How many sins it took for God to expel Adam and Eve for the Garden of Eden? Just one. That's how holy our God is. So anyway... Going back to our test, we will only be content that when we recognize that because of Christ, think about this, we are always better off than we deserve. We're always better than what we deserve. The scriptures teach that if God gave us what we deserve, we will end up in hell. But because of his great love, those who have believed in him have received grace and mercy, kindness and love. The punishment and the condemnation deserved was laid on the glorious Savior so that everyone who repents and trusts Christ will be forgiven and accepted by God as his child. So the humble person, the humble Christian, considers there is a great mercy that today we're not in hell. And so today, we can be content. If our starting point is hell, <laughs> you know, that means that today we're doing pretty good, right? Super happy. Because of what Christ did for us. We are better than what we deserve. Even if we are going through some need or even if we're going through abundance. These things become irrelevant when it comes to responding how we are. So the reality of the forgiveness of our sins, of our restored relationship with God, when we were his enemies, 
of having passed from death to life, of having a living hope and a glorious inheritance reserved for us. It is the fundamental reason to live every day in contentment. It is there where we find the jewel of contentment. But dear brothers and sisters, we recognize that in this life we suffer and it hurts. And I, do, I, don't, I don't want you, you know, I don't want to minimize that. We are not indifferent to the real pain that we suffer in this life that you may be going through right now. We face difficult things, you know, illness, losses, uh, betrayals. But even if our circumstances go up and down like the waves of the sea, even if the things around us changes, we know something that does not change. And it is what Romans 8 once says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the humble heart recognizes that even the worst situations that God may send him, it is better than he deserves. And the grateful heart can recognize mercy in any circumstance. Contentment is a rare jewel, but how precious it is to those who can obtain it. And you know what? There is something else that contributes to our contentment. Another truth. Not only the truth that Christians, that as Christians, will always have a better situation that we would deserve, that we will never have to suffer what we really deserve, but also the Christian is in a situation that in the moment, in a way that we don't know, is what's best for us. When we, sat, when we find ourselves in difficult situations, we ignore many things. We don't know how long the affliction is going to be. We don't know how painful we'll be. We don't know even the best way of how to act or how to pray. But there is something that we don't know, and we know that to those who love God, all things work together for good. That means that not only is my situation better than what I deserve, that promise tells me that this situation is the best thing that can happen to me right now. Although it doesn't feel like that. Yes, because they all work together for good. But which good? Let's remind, what, what, what is Paul talking about? When he say, okay, everything is working for good, what, what's that good about? Well, the good is to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So those terrible situations are not in vain. We can be content because in God's good purpose for us, that is the good, the greatest good. At the beginning of our marriage, I remember uh, we had a miscarriage. And you know how painful that is to a young couple longing for a child. And it, we were devastated. And I remember that, that, that very day that we were, uh, you know, at home with the, the blood happening and, and, and we were going to rush to the clinic and all that. And and I remember that my wife, being devastated in that moment, he told me, you have to remember, the best thing that could happen to us already happened. Already happened. So no matter if we have children or not, God can be glorified. And I know that that was the Holy Spirit giving us strength in that moment. But we're reminded of a very beautiful and amazing truth. The best thing that could happen to you if you are in Christ, it already happened. It doesn't get better than that. 
fullness of life in His presence. God's call to us is to understand that we can be content in Him. And that we are able to do it because of Christ. I, I love coming to your country. It's, it's beautiful. You guys have so many things that the Lord has given to you. And I, and I always feel, you know, like that temptation of, oh man, I should pursue a church plan here or something. <laughs> But I reminded myself of this. It doesn't matter if I plant a church here. If my heart is not content in Christ, you gotta be content in this country or in whatever country. That God may take me. So in that small city in Colombia with my beautiful congregation, I can be super happy because of Christ. And you can be really happy no matter what you're going through because of Him who is always giving us more and more than we deserve. So join me in pray. Father, we thank you. Oh, Lord, we be grateful to you for everything. Oh, Lord, teach us true contentment in Christ. Let us value these eternal truths. Help us, oh, Lord. We, we are so prone to forget your mercies. We are so prone to complain. We are so prone, oh, Lord, to feel sad about the things we lack instead of being joyful of the absolutely incredible blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. Oh, help us to fix our eyes on you, as Hebrews tell, tell us. Fixing our eyes on you so that in every circumstance, no matter how painful, no matter how difficult it is, our joy, our hearts, our lives can be, oh Lord, in you hitting in you in you oh thank you Lord for reminding us of this beautiful truth truth this morning I, I, I'm, I'm thankful for the privilege to share it with my brothers and sisters here oh help us oh Lord to be so satisfied in you satisfied in you that's that's what our hearts need the most it's in your name we pray amen